Okay. Good morning. Praise the Lord. I was uh, reminded Caleb was sharing the story of the the rich man who got richer and built bigger barns and the Lord called him home. I I sold a shed here not too long ago, maybe about a month ago, to uh, a lady over in Corvallis who's had a brother who was a he was in his mid forties, marathon runner, healthy. Died of a heart attack. Yeah, I know. You say, man, how does this work? Well, you know, the Lord's going to call us home someday. And for a lot of us, it, it may come unexpected. You don't know. We don't know. He's in control. For each one of us here, we breathe and our hearts beat right now because God says they do. And that's it. He is the one who is sovereign over all, even every cell in our bodies. And He is seeing fit this morning to let each one of us have life in our fleshly bodies. But if He says, nope, George, you're done. He's, well, then He's done. I mean, there's, you can try to argue, but uh, He's going to win. And... The question is, is will you be ready whenever that time comes? It, yeah, there, back in the, in the 80s, there was a marathon runner by the name of Jim Fix, F-I-X-X. I don't know if any of you remember that name or not. Another one. I think he was in his mid-40s, maybe close to 50. And he died of a heart attack. And it just blew people away. So how does this happen? Well, we're, we all were conceived in sin with a sinful nature, and therefore the sentence upon each and every one of us is death. We will die. The wages of sin is death. And so we will all die unless the Lord returns first and takes us home. We will die. That's our wage. That We've earned that. We have earned death. Now, it's not very nice to put it that way, but that is reality. So, anyway, it just reminded me of that. I thought, wow. We just don't know. We just don't know. Okay. Well, I've got uh, some thoughts I want to share that are a little not directly looking at thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I just saw some things out of Psalm 23 that ministered to me, and I want to share them with you. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taking Glenn's little method here with a little pre-sermon here before we get into the, the main message here, so I couldn't help it. So, But go ahead and turn to Psalm 23, if you would. Psalm 23. And a little bit later, we're going to go through a fair bit of a chapter on Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's, oh, it's rich. It's full. And I look forward to that. But something that just got my attention. I'm going to read it just real quickly. It's very short. And then go through some things I gleaned from it these last few days. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, <clears throat> just back up just a little bit here. The old covenant that God gave, the law of Moses, in particular the Ten Commandments, you can kind of sum it up with this. God says, thou shalt, thou shalt not. You shall. You shall do this. You shall not do that. Okay? And so, come to find out, it's too much for each and every one of us to fulfill and to live out perfectly from the time we were conceived to the time that we died. Couldn't do it. And so it got looked at as a schoolmaster. Paul compared it to a schoolmaster. Okay? And especially when Jesus came to earth and preached the, the Sermon on the Mount and he raised the bar of the law, I've often wondered what was going through a lot of people's minds when he preached that. And he raised the bar. He told them, love your enemies. I can't help but believe there had to be a lot of people shaking their head. What is this? What's he saying? If you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Whoa, wait a second here. Who's innocent of that? And you'd say, well, no one. That's right. So he raised it even higher. Hopefully getting the people to realize, we can't do this. This is impossible. That's right. That's right. But the new covenant, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 36. Switches perspectives. Ezekiel 36, you know this chapter, this uh, passage. I'm going to start at verse 23. Just hang in there with me a little bit here. And I'm going to read down through verse 31, Ezekiel 36, 23 through, yes, 31. And I, God speaking here, I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away this stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleannesses. And I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field that ye shall receive no more re reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and, ye shall, and shall loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Big difference here. God is laying forth, speaking what the new covenant is going to look like. And it's no longer going to be thou shalt and thou shalt not. But it says, he says, I will do this. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit. It's what he does in us, for us, through us. 
which is way better than us trying to do it all on our own, which we can't. I will do this, he says. Great, great, great and precious promises. Now, let's take a look at Psalm 23 again. The Lord is my shepherd. Got to read it. Got to read a verse to you here out of John 10. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He gave his life. That was something that he did. For he, but he that is in hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. I've wondered if he's speaking of the Gentiles in that verse 16 right there. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Jesus is saying, I will lay down my life. Because I'm the good shepherd. I will be your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now there is an I shall not in there, but it's a little bit different. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. How could I lack anything? How is that possible? The Lord is my shepherd. He laid down his life. He said, I will lay down my life. And he did. And he rose from the dead to be your shepherd. What's he say next? He maketh me. He does this. He maketh me to lie down. He maketh me. What is that a picture of? Lay down and rest. You don't have to do this on your own. You can't. I'm your shepherd. Lay down. Rest. He maketh me to lie down. He leadeth me. Again, it's what He's doing. He leads. He restoreth my soul. I can't do it myself. I need Him to do it. And He's... His word is, I will do that. He restoreth me. It's what He's doing. Not what I'm doing. He leadeth. He maketh me to lie down. He leadeth. He restoreth. He leadeth. Four in a row there. <clears throat> and then He says something that, he'll, that He's going to do. He maketh me lie down. He leadeth. He restoreth. He leadeth again. I walk. He's done all that. I can walk. I can even walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Know why? Because He's with me. Again, it, He comes to be with me. He's with me. I walk. Another something I will do. I will fear no evil. I can be at peace. I can rest because he's my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads. He restores. It's everything that he's doing. New covenant. Thou art with me. I'll fear no evil. Thou art with me. I will be with you. 
Matthew 28, Isaiah 43. And it says, Thou preparest. Again, this is something God is doing. God is the one that prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He is the one that anoints my head with oil. Again, it's what He is doing for you. To you. He prepares a table. He anoints my head. One more thing. It says, then I'm, I will do something. I'm just going to dwell with Him. I'm just going to live with Him. And if you think about that, again, that's, that, that's a real simple <laughs> gospel message. It expounds the simplicity of the gospel. It's about what He does and what He has done for us as sheep. We just get to live with Him and dwell with Him. It's the safest place in the world to live. Right beside Him. These are just some things that just got my attention. Just bless me. He maketh me to lie down. He leads me. He restores me. I can't restore myself. I can't try to lead myself. I can try, but it's not going to get me any closer to Him. To the shepherd, it's going to get me out on the outer edges where the, the enemies are out there. The bears and the lions and the cougars. And we'll read about those in a second. But that um, <clears throat> just ministered to me as I read that. I get to walk with him in peace. I get to live with him because of what he's done. It's all glory and honor to him. Praise the Lord. Okay. Verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You get the picture of a feast, don't you? That's kind of what I do. Come and dine, you know, he would say. If you, he knocks at the door, if you, if you uh, hear his voice open the door, he'll come in and he'll commune and dine with you. Let's sit down and fellowship. That's God that says that. Man, if you try to wrap your mind around that, My phrase is the circuits start blowing and my mind can't grasp it and I can't handle it. And God says, I know, I designed it that way on purpose. But I still want to encourage you, wrap your mind around it. Go ahead and give it your best shot. Let's just sit down and communicate. Now, I love that. Prepares a table. Especially after he gets done walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But let me read a little bit out of Philip Keller's book here. Thou preparest a table before me. Remember, it's a shepherd who's... When we're thinking of God in Psalm 23, we're thinking of the shepherd. The good shepherd, described there in the Gospel of John, John 10. In thinking about this statement, it is well to bear in mind that the sheep are approaching the high mountain country of the summer ranges... These are known as alplands and tablelands so much sought after by sheepmen. In some of the finest sheep country in the world, especially in the western United States and southern Europe, the high plateau of the sheep ranges are always referred to as mesas, the Spanish word for tables. Interesting. Now, we lived in western Colorado for five years in a place called the Grand Valley, and we lived at a place called Battlement Mesa. I remember when we moved, we, we drove from, from Madras to Colorado in 1995, April of 1995. And we got there and at a motel in a town called Rifle. And it was dark. We couldn't see nothing. 
So we got in and we, we pulled into the, the Rusty Cannon Motel. And we lived there for a month. And got the next morning, and I, I, you know, I'd never been to this place before. We pull in at nighttime. It was pitch black. What is around us? I don't know. I can't see. So the next, I was looking forward to waking up the next morning, walking outside, saying, you know, what does this place look like? And I looked around, and here's these big, big hills, and they were flat on top. I thought, wow, this is really weird. I'd never seen anything like this before. And... Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I admit to that. And so I, you know, what's a mesa? I don't know what, you know. And uh, I was kind of just looking around. And, what do you call these things? You know, of course, it took me a little while. And, and these different bushes about this high, they look kind of like a mini juniper tree, you know. And they call them scrub oak. And, but I, I didn't know. But here it was. And come to find out, these are called mesas. Big, tall areas high above the valleys that are more or less flat on top. And then after we'd been there three or four years, we went camping with our next-door neighbors up on, what was that? I can't remember the name of the mesa, that the big one that sits above Rifle there. But we went camping up there, and uh, wouldn't you know, we, we come across as we're finding our spot to camp, one of those little uh, sheepman's cabins there. You know, it's on wheels. It's, it's like a little uh, travel trailer. And so we find out, yeah, they brought sheep up there, up on the mesas. And so I got thinking about thou prepares a table. And I start reading this from a shepherd's perspective. This is what this is. This is what this man was, was a shepherd. And I'm realizing, man alive, I, I've got an exceedingly small picture of what God is doing, what kind of a table God is preparing before you and I. And I kind of thought, whoa, I need to open up my eyes a little bigger here. Oddly enough, it says that Kiswahili, African word for, the, for a table, is also mesa. Presumably, this had its origin with the first Portuguese explorers to touch the East African coast. In fact, the use of this word is not uncommon in referring to the high, flat-topped plateau of the continent. The classic example, of course, is Table Mountain near Cape Town, which is world-renowned. You've ever heard of Table Mountain down in Cape Town, South Africa? I hadn't. Had you? Okay. I looked at this. I, got, I thought, okay, I got to, well, what is this place? And I looked at this and I thought, well, now that is a table. Wow. I'll just go real quick. That's Table Mountain. And the Lord was speaking to me, saying, Mike, you've got to open up your eyes here, son. You're looking at a little three by six. That's not the kind of table I'm talking about. I'm talking about a table land. That's the city below there. That's Table Mountain. I was a little bit more impressed than a three by six. Here, go ahead and pass it and get closer with it. And of course, this man being a shepherd, he's his when he thinks of thou preparest a table, and he's thinking of his sheep, he's thinking, I've got to get my sheep up to the table lands. And as a shepherd, I've got to prepare it. Because that's what it says. Thou preparest a table. But God's definition of a table is a whole lot different than mine, I found out. 
So it may be may be seen that what David referred to as a table was actually the entire high summer range. Though these mesas may have been remote and hard to reach, the energetic and aggressive sheep owner takes the time and trouble to ready them for the arrival of his flocks. What a picture of what Jesus did for us. In simply just stepping down off of his throne and coming here and living here a perfect sinless life being unjustly treated unjustly crucified but rising from the dead and going back to his father preparation for you and I for the table to be set before us Early in the season, even before all the snow is melted from spring sunshine, he will go ahead and make preliminary survey trips into this rough, wild country. He will look it over with great care, keeping ever in mind its best use for his flock during the coming season. Then just before the sheep arrive, he will make another expedition or two to prepare the table land for them. He takes along a supply of salt and minerals to be distributed over the range at strategic spots for the benefit of the sheep during the summer. The intelligent, careful manager will also decide well ahead of time where his camps will be located so the sheep have the best bed grounds. He goes over the range carefully to determine how vigorous the grass and upland vegetation is. At this time, he decides whether some glades and basins can be used only lightly, whereas other slopes and meadows may be grazed more heavily. He will check to see if there are poisonous weeds appearing, and if so, he will plan his grazing program to avoid them or take drastic steps to eradicate them. And he talks about a few different types there. And he talks about how he would, he would do that. He would take his family up, and they, would, they knew what types of weeds were poisonous. Some of them would kill the sheep, and they had to go yank them out. They had to get rid of them before... He could bring the sheep up to the table land, preparing. Thou preparest a table before me. What a picture of our Savior, our Shepherd. As I, as I hear and see His challenge upon me to look at Him in a greater way to see what He's done. How He cares how He watches over each one of us. I'm sure... Well, I should be say carefully. I can't help but believe that when we get to heaven, I hope we get to see a glimpse of how He watched over each one of us all of our lives. I know we'd stand back and say, well, Lord... I had no idea you were so very much involved in how you protected me from this and from that and how you guided and led and watched over. How you sent your angels charge over me, over you, and guided us along our path. It will blow our minds away. I'm sure it will. The Good Shepherd. All of this sort of thing was in the back of David's mind as he penned these lines. I can picture him walking slowly over the summer range ahead of his flock, his eagle eyes sharp for any signs of poisonous weeds which he would pluck before his sheep got to them. No doubt he had armfuls to get rid of them for the safety of his flock. The parallel in the Christian life is clear. Like sheep, especially lambs, we somehow feel that we have to try everything that comes our way. We have to taste this thing and that, sampling everything just to see what it's like. And we may very well know that some things are deadly. They can do us no good. They can be most destructive. Still, somehow, we give them a whirl anyway. To forestall our getting into grief of this sort, we need to remember our Master has been there ahead of us, coping with every situation which, otherwise, which would otherwise undo us. A classic example of this 
was the incident when Jesus warned Peter that Satan desired to tempt him and sift him like wheat. But Christ pointed out that he had prayed that Peter's faith might not fail during the desperate difficulty he would encounter. And so it is even today, our great good shepherd is going ahead of us in every situation, anticipating what danger we may encounter and praying for us that in it we might not succumb. Amen. You know, the scripture says that no temptations were taken us, but such is his common demand. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Think about that promise. That's a picture of the shepherd watching over the sheep. We're going to get tempted. We get tempted every day. Temptation is not sin. Sin's when you give in to it. It's not wrong to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. We all get tempted. But what a promise from our good shepherd that he says, I won't give you more than what you can handle. Now think about that. I won't give you more than what you can handle. I know how much each one of you can handle. I know you that well. And I give you my promise. Yes, you're going to be tempted. Yes, you have an enemy that's going to be out there. How close are you going to walk with me? Well, that's, that's the big question. But I won't let anything come by your path that you can't handle. That is the good shepherd. That is a great and precious promise. Especially in light of our own nature. It is, just like he explained. Our very nature desires to try this and try that. Go see that over there and to try and fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's human nature. Why do you see, especially in America where there's an abundance of wealth, its whole desire is to try and fulfill those three lusts. If you break it down to the core, that's America. The people... Filled with trying to fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And if right now, you, people would get offended if I, you, know, you confronted them and said it like that. But if you want to get right down to the root, that's really what it is. That's our nature. That try to fulfill. And yet God, when we, by faith, come to Him, repent, get that time of refreshing we talked about earlier. the good shepherd then begins to shepherd you, me. Thank the Lord. And he gives that promise. Walk with me. I'll not allow anything to come across your path that's too much for you. Praise the Lord. Another task that the attentive shepherd takes on in the summer is to keep an eye out For predators. He will look for signs and spore of wolves, coyotes, cougars, and bears. If these raid or molest the sheep, he will have to hunt them down or go to great pains to trap them so that his flock can rest in peace. We're given a sublime picture of our Savior who knows every wile, every trick, every treachery of our enemy Satan and his companions. Always we are in a danger of attack. Scripture sometimes refers to him as a roaring lion who goes about seeking whom he may devour. Who's he going to devour? Who is the devil going to seek to devour? Is he going to devour? I mean, he wants to devour all of us. But in the world of nature out there, when there's lions going after a herd of Wildebeests. Who do they pick out? The weak. The little ones that can't get away. The weak. And that's where God comes and says to us, it's up to you how strong in me you want to be. You do have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. 
You want to live out on the edges where the enemy lies close to the rocks, where the cougars and bears and the coyotes. You can do that. The shepherd, he'll, he'll probably take his rod and his staff. He might thump you on the head a few times and say, Child, he loves you. He'll do that. But if you insist, what you're insisting on is you're insisting on being that weak one. And that's not a nice way to word it, but that's what it is. And if you insist on that, you leave yourself more open to being devoured by the enemy. So the simple answer is stay right by his side. It's not going to make life any easier. Yes, you're still going to get attacked. Yes, you'll still be tempted. But you'll be much stronger in him and able to overcome and you'll have discernment to be able to see through things that the weak very possibly may not have. We see it. Okay. We see evidence of the of his merciless attacks and carnage in his society. This was written in 1970, I believe. Listen to this. Merciless attacks and carnage in a society where many women fall prey to his cunning tactics almost every day. We see lives torn and marred and seared by his assaults, though we may never see him personally. It reminds me of my encounters with cougars. On several occasions, these cunning creatures came in among my sheep at night, working terrible havoc in the flock. Some ewes were killed outright, their blood drained and livers eaten. Others were torn open and badly clawed. In these cases, the great cats seemed to chase and play with them in their panic like a house cat would chase a mouse. Some had huge, huge patches of wool torn from their fleeces in their frightened stampede. Some had stumbled and broken bones or rushed over rough ground, injuring legs and bodies. Yet despite the damage, despite the dead sheep, despite the injuries and fear instilled in the flock, listen to this, I never once actually saw a cougar on my range. So cunning and so skillful were their raids, they defy description. And I look at a lot of the things that have come out over the last 20, 30 years, especially when you think of the Internet, and you think, I think of social uh, media, all those things that can be used for good, that can be used to advance the gospel if someone has a right heart. But we see the destruction that it's brought. And it's really, in and, it's not those things in and of themselves, it's just revealed what and who our society is. Very selfish, very self-centered. And, and, and all these things, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, why do they call it YouTube? It's all about you. Look at me. And you try and fulfill the pride of life. That's what it's boiling down to. And you read these stories of... of, of some young people that have committed suicide because they got cyberbullied. People mouthing off at them on the internet. You think, how, how does that happen? It does. It happens. Remember, we have an enemy. And he's very deceptive. And we'll be like, like right here. He knew those cougars were out there. Never saw one. And people can look and say, how does this happen? I don't see how this happens. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. You may not literally see the enemy. But he's there moving through these things to destroy people's lives. At all times, we would be wise to walk a little closer to Christ. And I guess if there's anything you get out of this, this message today, is just walk closer to Christ. When you feel like it and when you don't. Walk closer to Jesus. Stay close by the shepherd's side. You know, our little runt dog, yappity, messy little dog, he, 
when we sit on the couch and we're doing something there, he just wants to get up and get right next to us. He likes to just be right next to us. He said, brother, don't compare me to a dog. Sorry, I guess I just did. I'm right there with you. But, you know, he just wants to be right beside you. You know, and you guys, probably some of you have pets too, that you know, they... That's how they are. They just they want to be right next to their master. That's safe right there. They like feeling safe. They like that sense of security. And God is saying, I want you to be like that. I want you to find all your security right by my side. The safest place in the world to live. Right next to Jesus' side. There's another chore which the sheepman takes care of on the table land. He clears out the water hole springs and drinking places for his stock. He has to clean out the accumulated debris of leaves, twigs, stones, and soil which may have fallen into the water source during the autumn and winter. He'll open up the springs. It is all his work, his preparation of the table for his own sheep in summer. And again, it's what Christ has done for us and the preparation that He has laid out there for us. And I, Again, I'm, I'm trying to get my mind to, to grasp that a little bit. All what He has done to prepare the table that He desires to set before you. He delights in taking care of you. Ever thought about that? He delights in taking care of you. He loves you. He cares for you. He says, I want to set a table before you. I'll even pave the way. I'll lead the way. He leadeth, remember? He leadeth. And what's the response? I will walk. Where are you going to walk? Wherever He leads. Where is He going to lead? To a table land. Where I can grow and eat and drink and be healthy in Him. It's all his work, his preparation of the table for his own sheep in summer. He understands us. He has to totally identify himself with humanity. He has, therefore, a care and compassion for us beyond our ability to grasp. You know, Scripture says that he can understand. He's a, he's a high priest that, can, that he truly can relate to each one of us because he came. And became a man. And subjected himself. And don't take lightly the fact that he was tempted in all things as we are. Yet without sin. I think some people like to kind of minimize that. Say, well, he was God. He's easy for him to overcome. He was tempted in all things. As we are, yet without sin. He was tempted. He came down from His throne of glory to be a man, flesh and bone. And He was tempted. So He can look at each and every one of us fully right in the eye and say, I understand. I understand. He does understand. Thank God. You do not have mountains without valleys. And even in the mountaintop, there can be some rough and tough experiences. Very true. It's not always apparent to us what tremendous personal cost it has been for Christ to prepare the table for his own. Just as the lonely personal privation of the sheepman who prepares the summer range for his stock entails a sacrifice, so the lonely agony of Gethsemane, of Pilate's Hall, of Calvary, have cost my master much. When I come to the Lord's table and partake of the communion service, which is a feast of thanksgiving for his love and care, do I fully appreciate what it has cost him to prepare this table for me? He chose deliberately to descend and live amongst us, amongst them, that he might deliver them. 
This man laying aside his splendor, his position, his prerogatives as the perfect and faultless one. He knew he would be exposed to terrible privation, to ridicule, to false accusations, to rumor, gossip, malicious charges that branded him as a glutton, drunkard, friend of sinners, and even an imposter. It entailed losing his reputation. It would involve physical suffering, mental anguish, and spiritual agony. In short, his coming to earth as the Christ, as Jesus of Nazareth, is a straightforward case of utter self-sacrifice that culminated in the cross of Calvary. The laid-down life, the poured-out blood, were the supreme symbols of total selflessness. This was love. This was God. This was divinity in action, delivering men from their own utter selfishness, their own stupidity, their own suicidal instincts as lost sheep unable to help themselves. In all this, there was an amazing mystery. No man will ever able fully to fathom its implications. It is bound up inexorably, inexorably with the concept of God's divine love of self-sacrifice, which is so foreign to most of us who are so self-centered. At best, we can only grasp feebly the incredible concept of a perfect person, a sinless one, being willing actually to be made sin, that we who are full of false, selfish, self-assertion and suspicion might be set free from sin and self to live a new, free, fresh, abundant life of righteousness. Jesus told us himself that he had come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Just as the sheepman is thrilled beyond words to see his sheep thriving on the high, rich summer grange. It is one of the highlights of his whole year. Again, this is a, a shepherd himself speaking of the delight that he got to see of his own literal sheep grazing, healthy, safe, because he had gone ahead and prepared the table land. It's a delight to our Lord when he sees his children by faith staying right close to him, growing, growing closer to him. He delights in that. It makes him smile when he watches you. And, and he, when you're reading your Bible and you come across that verse that just jumps at you, you say, whoa, I never saw that before. That's God talking to you. And when you grasp that and it ministers to you and you get excited about it, he gets even more excited to see you get excited. It delights him. It thrills him to see you feeding and being healthy and staying close to Him and seeing your eyes open in a deeper way so that you can know Him. He delights in that. It's not just for us. It's all about Him. His joy, His honor, His glory. Don't ever forget that. Just, just like when a, a mom and a dad they got a little toddler just learning how to walk. And that little toddler, you, some of you older siblings, you've seen that happen. Oh, man, they get excited. They're kind of scared. And, ooh, I don't know. Can I take a step? Yeah, okay. But mom and dad are twice as excited for them than the child is. Right? It's fun. They're smiling and giggling and then they fall down. Oh, it's okay. Get up and go again. That's just like Jesus. a picture of himself towards us. I've told you before. All you got to do is look up and say, Lord, I love you. It brings tears to his eyes. It thrills him so much. And when you get to heaven, you get to leave this awful place finally once and for all. His embrace is going to be ten times stronger than what you're going to want to embrace Him. He's going to be so thrilled and so happy to see you there and say, Well done, child. You ran the race until the end. But you have to run the race. you got to stay close by His side. You can't be one of those that's going to, I've I got to get out there to the edge because it looks so appealing over there. By faith, stay close to the shepherd. I know all in all, my messages, they kind of, Get redundant. I love you. Get used to it. Okay, that's all I can say. Uh, we need it in this era. 
We need it. We need to stay so close to Him that we need that encouragement all the time. I do. I, I do. We get weary. I understand that. I get weary. I've been weary. I'm not sure I'm out of it yet. But what's the option? Throw in the towel? When God was working on my heart as leading up to that point where I, I got born again, God in His wisdom convicted me and ministered to me that Mike, you do this. You you repent and get right with God and give your life to God. You need to understand something. This is for the rest of your life. It's not something to try out and see if you like it or not. It's just for the rest of your life. Okay? So... You, you consider that. And I say that not that I'm worried about any of you at this very moment. But you will be hit. And you will be tempted. And you will be attacked. You are hated by someone. Who wants to see you go down. Beware of that. And stay close to the shepherd. To live thus is to live richly. To walk here is to walk with quiet assurance. To feed here is to be replete with good things. To find this table land is to, found, is to have found something of my shepherd's love for me. Amen. That is so true. I hope this is an encouragement to you. Stay close. And just know that, man, he, it's his delight to set that table before you. It's his delight to see you by faith follow him up onto that table land and begin to feast and to grow and to stay close to him. It's his delight. Way more than it is even yours. So know that. And stay close to him. Walk with him. The times get tough. The times get weary. The mountains get, you know, hey, I know. Sometimes I feel like I'm 60 years old with two bad knees, a bad shoulder, and a bad heart. And sometimes I feel like the Lord has, has said, has led me up to the base of Mount Everest. He said, now, okay, good. Got you right here. Now I want you to climb to the top of that thing and get back down the other side. And uh, I said, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Lord, uh, I love you. I Trust me. Take a step. How do you get there? One step at a time. I know. You're going to feel that way sometimes. Stay close to the shepherd. Stay close to the shepherd. Keep his heart happy by staying close to him. All right? Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening.